This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from Detroit Sound Studios above Activate Gaming and is part of the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Jeff Moss, Justin Sparrow, Jessica producing, as always. Episode 14, Tuesday, January 19th. Welcome to the show, Justin. We have a lot to talk about today. We didn't know what the hell we were going to discuss about 24 hours ago. And we will obviously hit on the Tigers' humongous signing of left fielder Justin Upton, which, by the way... The DSR, I think, was the only website in the world predicting about 15 days ago was going to occur. But first, some breaking news leading up to the show. One of uh, our favorite foils, Lansing Sports Journal, was Michigan State basketball and football beat writer. Is that what he is? Yep. Graham Couch. Had an interesting little uh, interlude with him, posted a quick blog on the Detroit Sports Rag earlier uh, this afternoon. Just a bizarre, bizarre encounter, which started off with Couch, who by all accounts I think is a pretty liberal guy. I don't think he's 
by any means racist at all um, based on his following him. Would you agree with that pretty much? No, he's not a racist at all. Very, very liberal guy by all accounts. And, you know, what it's really just an example of tone deafness and stupidity. It's not closeted racism seeping out or anything like that. He, he, I mean, he basically is mocking the idea of giving people the day off either at work or at school in particular for Martin Luther King Day. He thinks that this is just the worst thing never happened. Of all causes to be so passionate about, this is a guy that won't even ask a tough question of Tom Izzo or Mark D'Antonio at a press conference. And the one thing on earth he chooses to take on the world with is he really doesn't like Martin Luther King Day. Like he doesn't. We have, we have not earned the right to have Here, that here's day the off. Origi- here's the original tweet in which I subtweeted, what in the name of fuck? Because I just was like astonished by this. Quote, since workplaces behave like fourth graders and take off MLK Day, Tuesday is the first day many readers see weekend copy. Uh, like I said on Twitter, I didn't even know where to begin with that. It's just so bizarre that you would even bring that up. You, you, even if you had a point to make about Martin Luther King Day with 140 characters – you're just going to you're just going to cause yourself a lot of consternation, and immediately not only was I bombing him, but Brian Cook, MGo blog, uh, compared his his intelligence to a dog, and not in a favorable fashion. Uh, his partner at MGo blog, Ace um, and Bender, just was like incredulous about these comments. But the funny thing was, I figured when like people started going after him, and if you look at his Twitter feed now, like his mentions today, he's flooded. Oh my lord! It's it's almost Drew Sharp plagiarism levels of just vitriol against him, just just being attacked constantly. But he went on by saying, "I criticize people taking it off. Kids ought to be in school too, learning about MLK, not at home playing FIFA." As I stated in the blog, kids are in school for nine months a year. I'm sure they're learning about Martin Luther King on other days. As many people were bombing couch, like, do you have a problem with Labor Day? Should we should we learn about labor unions well, in this country? What's, what's really the idea of having the holiday in the first place? It's not to allow people the opportunity to go be studious about Martin Luther King. It's just to say that this person had such a profound uh, positive effect on our country and is, is so worthy of such an honor that we sort of we, – we have like Shabbos, like you know, a Jewish person not working on Saturday kind of thing. Like it's this – it's just this way of honoring them that we are going to seize operations to honor this person. So really what you do at that time is, is irrelevant. Sure, if someone is so compelled to sit inside and read about Martin Luther King, I think that's great. I mean I, I, that's a wonderful thing. But that's not the point of the holiday. The holiday is just saying this person was so important and so impactful in a positive way that we are seizing the operations, the day-to-day operations that we would normally have on a Monday. Not to mention a lot of, I think, African-Americans probably go to church to, um, to honor Martin Luther King because he was a obviously a religious figure as well as yes. a civil rights person. It just like – and this is just what – white. There's, there's certain things that white people just can't say. And this is one of them because you're not saying this about any other holiday. Christopher Columbus, the holiday for Columbus Day – Pretty much a lot of people at this point think you're celebrating uh, tyranny and genocide by that holiday. But nobody says bank- bankers should have to work on Columbus Day. and it just, it just makes absolutely no sense. And then he made it worse. Every tweet, he was just digging a bigger hole. This one was great. 
Kids sitting home instead of learning about him makes no sense, especially in suburban districts doing it for PC reasons? What? <laughs> People are just doing this for political correctness. It's a national holiday. Like, it's a government holiday. No individual school is doing anything for politically correct reasons. It's People just shouldn't pretend to love MLK, Justin, and not live his message. As a society, we haven't earned it yet. This is this is what the man was... I mean, it, Ace from Engelblog said, if he put all of these thoughts in a column and posted it in the Lansing State Journal, he'd probably be fired within 24 hours. He'd be... He'd be he would be under fire. At Al the Sharpton <laughs> and Jesse Jackson would be outside of Breslin the next time that the Spartans play at home with picket signs. I just don't... I just don't understand how you could be so stupid. It's not a worthy cause. It doesn't. First of all, it doesn't even make sense. I mean, I I have no problem. You know, I mean, as as an avid listener of Colin Coward, I I I think people can be unfairly painted as racist. And we both said right from the top, we don't think Graham Couch is racist. We don't even think the comments were racist necessarily. They were just dumb. But you know, there's certain things that you know you say white people can't say. And, and I agree. I, I think it's you get these arguments sometimes from from a lot of white people that'll say, you know, oh, uh, if black people can say the N word, why can't I? Just let it go. <laughs> There's one word that you can't have, and, and why is this so important? And African why, why American need people, to say it? African American people in this country have been through slavery, Jim Crow, uh, segregation. That now not equal through, pay. I mean, even even today, not equal pay. Uh, mass incarceration. They have one holiday, one, one. Because I mean, Martin Luther King, yeah, it's well, I mean, honoring they, his they, birthday. But they it do also have, they do have a month. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. But but Martin Luther. I mean, that, that was like basically it's like a tip of the cap to the African American community that holiday right. on top of just being Martin Luther King. We got to take it and, away, and, and we, got, we 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 haven't earned it. Like so, Graham Couch thinks we have to eradicate racism. Before we can just have have fireworks and have barbecue or whatever like we do on every other holiday or eat turkey well, it's, you know, on Martin Luther King something, Day. It's something like 45% of people eligible to vote for president in the United States actually vote. So I would argue that until we get that number at least up to 90%, we can't celebrate Independence Day, the right to vote and have our own government. So I, this, you know, it just it, it doesn't make any sense. And really, I don't think this. I think it wouldn't make sense no matter who said it. But just for what would you for set a the line? Take this what would you set the line at a dead spin, a big lead, or an awful announcing picking up on this? Oh, I, I don't know about the line, but I just would say that's not going to happen. I, I, I think long. it's going to happen. No, no. I mean, it's, we're not going to get too deep into the Drew Sharp stuff again. But I'll no, just, no, 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 Drew Sharp at all. But I'm just going to say in passing one or two sentences about the Drew Sharp thing. That's not even really to do with him. But this Deadspin thing, refusing to pick up the Drew Sharp story, really made me lose a lot of respect for Deadspin. And they're, they're well aware of it. I was told directly from Deadspin that they're just passing on the story they're not interested. I, God knows why. God yeah. knows why. But Although they did report on the Fox Sports uh, U- UFC guy who plagiarized. I mean, they, they, they've reported on typos and tweets that they thought were funny. I mean, it, 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 I don't know. I'm not going to get into that whole thing again, but yeah. I just think that's, that's Deadspin's bad. Deadspin's embarrassing with that, with that behavior. But that, that was just kind of like a little bit of a frivolous thing. Uh, we'll see if Graham Couch decides to try to explain himself any further and dig a bigger hole. But the big story, obviously, today is the Tigers signing of Justin Upton late last night. What was it, six years, $132.5 million with a two-year opt-out, something along yeah, those just, lines. Just over 22 a year, which, you know, 
you're, you're much more attuned with the analytics, which I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and try to have a baseball analytics discussion with you because I'm out of my league. But you tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, the going rate per win above replacement is what, about $8 million? That's considered the value? Five, five. Okay, it's, it's five. 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 Okay. Well, then that changes my opinion a little bit. But well, I'm looking. But five was, to six million. Five and, to six. He, yeah. he was, what, four and a half last year. So, I mean, you're paying him you you're know, pay- at a discount or at least he's worth what he's been paid. So this argument that he's overpaid is just hilarious. And this is this is one of the rare occasions, and that's why I want to point it out, where you are positive and happy about something, and a significant portion of one of the Detroit sports team's fan bases is not happy. I cannot believe. That's because people are stupid. I can't. But how, how many why? times are you, you happy about something? Why? Do the, you want to know usually why? Usually you're the one negative voice. They're looking I'm a realist, and I think people, and you are too, and I think people accuse us of being negative just because we're not fanboys. But this this signing kind of crosses into an area between never wanting to say anything negative about the team and just dummies who just don't understand advanced metrics and saber metrics and math because they look at his batting average from last year and they look at his runs batted in and say, how can you give twenty one or twenty two million dollars a year to a guy who bats two fifty and had eighty some RBIs? Because they're imbeciles and they don't understand that he's playing in Petco Park. He's playing for the San Diego Padres, uh, not a very good offensive team with not a lot of complimentary players around him. Don't understand that in his career. The man has over a 350 on base percentage, which is exactly what this team needs. Now, I understand that it's been going down in, in the last few years, but this guy's not 34. He's 28. He's in his prime. He's a former first pick overall in the draft. And many people think that he hasn't even scratched the surface of his talent. And for you, for anyone, and there's a lot of, I I cannot believe that this wasn't met with universal praise. But when I think about it, it does make a little sense because, like I said, these people don't understand math. They don't understand what the Tigers were going to get out of left field without signing Upton. The the triumvirate of uh, Collins, Mabin, um, who who else knows who the hell would have been like out there? Moya was being Moya, about, Mike Avilas, whatever yeah, Avilas, Avilas. Yeah. Uh, okay, you were looking at a war probably a win above replacement out of that position of maybe one. Yeah. Could have been I mean, negative. I, I, mean, I mean, it'd have been half garbage. A, half a game would have been nice. half a game. I mean, yeah. it would have been terrible, especially defensively with someone like Tyler Collins who can't field worth a shit. So even if he would have hit a little. It wouldn't have been worth it having him out there anyway because you need a really good left fielder in Comerica Park for half the games, which Justin Upton is. So if you get somewhere between a four and five war, which I think you're going to get from from him in the first couple of years, you're talking about winning three or four more games just by signing this guy, which cost you a third-round draft pick. So basically nothing except for the financial aspect, which who cares because it's Mike Ilge's money, and if he wants to spend it, who gives a fuck because this isn't impacting anything else. I mean, we're done now. They've spent the money. We're almost at $200 million. Instead of fetting Mike Ilge and saying thank you for bringing this guy in, which could maybe be the difference between 86 and 89 wins, which could be the difference between making the playoffs and not, potentially, 
We have people out there criticizing Drew Sharp, Mike Valente, Valente's asinine imbecile producer, Mike Sullivan, who I never heard of until last night when people started retweeting his nonsense into my feed. Some dumb fuck from Toledo who I just was told about is saying how bad this signing is. What peop- What planet are you living on? They've done everything that they've had to do, and now they got him. If you wanted to say they signed him earlier and then they couldn't fix part of the bullpen, maybe I would listen to that argument. I wouldn't agree with it, but they added three bullpen arms in low, uh, Justin Wilson and K-Rod. They even went and superfluously got another pitcher that they didn't need, and Mike Pelfrey gave him $16 million over two years. They've done everything. Why did they sign Mabin at this point? That was completely, I mean, they well, have they, Mabin they, they now. Tra- they traded for Mabin, but yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. But why yeah. did, so they got Mabin now, uh, which makes no sense. They don't need him. The Tigers, remember I said at the beginning of the free agency, I said the Tigers can do everything that they need to do. They can fix the bullpen, they could add a left fielder, and they could get a starting pitcher, one of the top flight guys, not Price, but right under that category, and still remain under the luxury tax. Remember when I said that? And everyone laughed at me and told me I was wrong? Well, guess what? They're what, about 8 or $9, 10000000 million over the luxury tax? And yep. they gave $8 million to Pelfrey, and they brought in Maven, which they didn't even need to do. It, it, how could you not like this move? You, you, it's just unbelievable to me. You have you have really every single hole that Avila needed to fill this offseason has been filled. And, you know, the, people keep looking at this in a vacuum now for the record. I like it in a vacuum, too. But this move is not in a vacuum. You look at where Upton was and where he's going now. Look at the list of players that have had career seasons, had a career either rejuvenation or they had the best years of their career in Detroit. J.D. Martinez, the biggest example by far, obviously. He was waived by the Astros, ends up becoming one of the best hitters in baseball. Maglio Ordonez, yeah, he was good in Chicago, very good. He didn't have a 363 uh, batting average at an OPS season of 1,000 in Chicago, so Maglio Ordonez. Victor Martinez, yeah, good in Boston, good in Cleveland, didn't have any runner-up MVP seasons in those cities. Yoannis Cespedes, just last year, by far his best season since coming into the major leagues with Detroit last year. Look, I know the analytics guys do not like the whole idea of lineup protection. It's one of the few soft spots, I think, in the analytical movement in baseball. We have seen repeated examples. I just listed four of them off the top of my head of players that came here that were good elsewhere and became great or were terrible elsewhere and became exceptional or or whatever. Significant, substantial improvement. Just four off the top of my head, and I'm sure there's others. So – Upton, even in a vacuum, even if he just keeps doing what he's been doing as a career, 825 OPS, 830, much better than what they would have had, but I think he'll be even better. And you know what? If he has two incredible years and opts out, great. I mean, whatever. Can That's you, fine, can too. You, let me, let's go through the list of guys that the Tigers have brought in of this caliber, paying that kind of money to in the last decade, and tell me which of these have failed. So even if you are dubious about it, the, the Tigers' success rate at bringing in free agent hitters has been absolutely insane. Pudge Rodriguez worked out unbelievably. Everyone said, oh, you're giving Pudge too much money. His only other option was going to Japan. He knew nobody else was going to pay him that kind of money. Got what, he almost won a batting title as a catcher? Unbelievable signing. Ended up being a bargain. Yeah. 
Maglio Ordonez, how can you sign this guy? Uh, Austrian doctors are working on his knees. He's having surgery in foreign countries. He was better in Detroit than he was in Chicago. Unbelievable signing. They Now, mind you, Miggy was a, uh, a trade, but they signed him to huge contracts. Worked out unbelievably. Incredibly Hall of Fame career. Victor Martinez's first contract worked out great. The guy was almost a borderline MVP candidate in the last year of that contract. There's a history of the Tigers targeting these guys, hitters, not pitchers. There's been some pitchers that have, haven't worked out, obviously, Dontrell Willis being one of them when they signed him to the big contract. But everyone's worked out, every single one. We haven't – this isn't the Red Wings with Stephen Weiss and Michael Samuelson where we have seven, eight years of Ken Holland making bad free agent signing after bad free agent signing. All of these guys have worked out. And, and, and Drew Sharp and Mike Valente – are going to criticize this move when obviously Mike Illich is in fuck you, I don't care mode. And we're going to get into Illich in a second. Uh, But I want to talk about some other part of this team that is so much improved from last year going into the season. A lot of people were saying today, one of the complaints was, well, look, basically we're starting off 2016 with Upton instead of Suspedes. It's kind of a push, right? Zimmerman instead of... David Price, that's actually a negative. But this team now has so much more depth and organizational strength throughout it because of what happened last year at the trade deadline. Last year at this time, we were looking at our number four starter as being Shane Green. They made a big trade for Shane Green, right? Everybody figured that was going to be number four. He's not even... Anywhere in the discussion of this now, there's no reason that guy couldn't come off of surgery. And if Sanchez gets hurt or someone of the starters, they've got him now. They've got Boyd who could fill in maybe as a, a starter or a situational lefty. They've got Fulmer who now can take some time, uh, maybe pitch three or four months, try to work on a third pitch in Toledo. And then he could come up and either be a starter or even if the team's doing so well and they're healthy with their starters, he could be another bullpen arm. They're not even counting really on Bruce Rondon for anything. You could go down the line. Now a guy like Tyler Collins, he's got no big role. There's an injury like Victor's. These, there's people now in this organization who could fill in. They did not have any of that last year. So when shit started hitting the wall, when Verlander gets hurt, uh, Victor gets hurt, they had no organizational depth whatsoever. That's why you and I... In early July, when they were still in the playoff race, they were, what, one or two games out of the, the wild card? We were, we were saying, you've got to make these trades. You've got to get rid of these guys and then go into the offseason and fix all the holes. Alex Avila has done exactly that, and this team is much stronger now because of it. And anyone who is I – mean, there's, there's no guarantee of anything. I mean, they, they, they might not win the division. But this team, after where they were six or seven months ago, it's incredible. It's night and day. And, you know, these people suggesting – the things that I've heard from people poo-pooing the Justin Upton deal is uh, typically they're advocating for some type of a rebuild. Look, the rebuild concept went out the window when you started paying Cabrera $30 a year for the next eight years, which hasn't even kicked in yet. It'll kick in in a few months. That's out the window. 
you're, as we say, pot committed. This is the way the Tigers have chosen to go, whether you like it or not. Now, we, we happen to, to like the direction, but whether you like the move or not, this is where they are. So it's already too late. You're too far down the river here to say, we're not going to spend this money, we're going to rebuild. You have too many big contracts with too many elderly players. So we're past that. So this Why is, would you care how Mike Yelich spends his well, money? Right, right. But I'm saying, you know, if you wanted to argue we wanted to tear it down, rebuild, and then spend to augment the rebuild process, whatever. I, I'm not saying that I like that idea or not. But whether you like that idea or not is irrelevant. We are in this boat. When Justin Upton was signed yesterday, this is the boat that we were in. So you can't say, oh, I, I, I want to be in this other boat. Well, we're not in that boat. We're, this is the boat we're in. We're down the river. It is what it is. You're going to drown if you get off it. So why would you not like any move? The fact is, is the team better with Justin Upton than they are without him? That's the only thing you have to know. There's no rebuild. There's no, that's already gone. So this whole, this whole poo-pooing of the move on the basis of, oh, it's too many years or it's too much money, you know, what does that even mean? Who gives a fuck? Who cares? Not only, not only because, oh, it's not our money, which is obviously a valid argument, but this is where we are. So you can say, I, I hate the last five years of moves or whatever. That's fine. I mean, you can make that argument. But here, here we are. The team is better today than they were yesterday. They have a better chance of not only making the playoffs but winning the whole thing than they had of yesterday, and it's not by a marginal amount. I mean, this is a significant improvement for the team's outlook. What is? I mean, it's almost like people are trying to be contrarian here. It doesn't make any sense, right? And this, and you know, last year, the reason why I said it, on July first, and when it was clear this was a severely flawed team, that they had to trade off David Price and Suspedes and Soria and Avila and anyone who was coming up in their last year to restock the the franchise was not because I didn't think last year's Tigers team couldn't have been tweaked at the deadline. Because I think they could have made the playoffs last year if they had anything in their farm system to swap out to fix the bullpen and to maybe add another starter. But they didn't. It didn't exist. They had nobody to trade, and they couldn't do it. So now we're in a position where, let's say we get to the middle of June or around July 1st, Tigers and Royals are neck and neck in the division. Now you've got a team with a, with a farm system that's a little bit replenished that you could maybe, if you need a, maybe you need another relief pitcher. Well, you've got a guy like Jacoby Jones, who I know he's going to be sitting out for the first 50 games or so because he's uh, on a suspension for drugs. But this is a guy who we got for Soria, who you probably could flip for a quality reliever. The guy's being viewed as kind of a poor man's uh, ben, uh, ben Zobrist can play a bunch of positions. He's hit at every level. He's a guy that you could trade. There's other prospects in the organization now. I wouldn't want to touch, you know, obviously Fulmer or some of the other guys. But if you did trade Fulmer, you'd get oh my you'd God. get an ace. Yeah, I mean, you know, right. that's that's what you're talking about. So, so you now, either have Fulmer or you're right. going to get at not just a marginal upgrade somewhere. You're going to be, you know, getting a, a major impact player. I tweeted out in late fall that – our source with the Tigers, who has been mostly, mostly very good, Except with for one, one crazy one caveat, one big exception, but has been mostly very good. I, I tweeted out that Mike Illich is doing much better health wise. Cancer is in remission, and he is determined to come out swinging this offseason. Was the exact quote from the source. I, I tweeted that out in I think September. I mean, the season wasn't even over yet. That Illich was resolute that he was going to come out swinging. That's why I've been saying for months. 
that I thought something like this was going to happen. I didn't buy – I mean you were sort of on the train of let's listen to Avila. I didn't buy that. Well, I thought they were going to go right up to about the $189 million. I didn't – I mean I – he's never done it. So it's not like – I mean people are saying, oh, Illich being Illich again – this is Illich on steroids. That's that's true, but here's here's the thing. Illich, in his mind, and this isn't from me. This is directly from someone in that circle. Illich believes that he cheated death. Was the was the phrase that was used, and that this really is his last chance. He you know he he you have that close call with death, and now you're back. You're relatively healthy, as healthy as an 86 year old individual can be. Um, you know, especially when you're in that cancer category. He is resolute, and you look at if this team is in the hunt again this season, they will add that piece that they need. They'll take on a bad contract if they have to. I mean, they're they're going to make the moves that they need to go for it. Look, I, you know, it's so hard to win. I, I think it's hard to win a title in any sport. There's franchises in this sport that haven't won in a hundred years. You know, have gone a century without a title. It is difficult. But you're, you're viable, and that's all you can really ask for at this point. This team is viable. I, I don't get these people that want to be caught in no man's land. It makes no sense. I think you owe Mike Illich a, a, an engraved apology. You I, have been I said the, I would massage his feet and kiss his balls. You have been, so, you, you have been so negative about, about I'll, this I'll great man, up, man. The, the, this man who has a trophy case a mile wide for his Red Wings accomplishments, who, despite some flaws with the Tigers' management, a decade of ineptness, not reciting Max Scherzer because he his feelings were hurt. No one's perfect. This is one of the finest owners <coughs> in Sergei all sports. <coughs> okay, and that, okay, but overall, his Red Wings resume I think is pretty much beyond reproach. Overall, I mean, you can't really complain about the ownership of the Red no, Wings. I just wanted not to retire Sergei Fedorov's number. Well, Thank you. no, I think the bigger issue is honestly the. That Fedorov was not allowed to come back when he came back to the table. I, that's what pisses me off more than the right. jersey. But you know, again, no one's perfect. But if you look at, we're not going to get into the sports radio driven. Let's rank the best owners, the Mount Rushmore of sports owners in the you know in the country. But Mike Illich is one of the best three or four sports sports owners in the country. So I, I think this this was a great move for the Tigers. This is a renewed commitment from Mike Illich that last year was not the sign of a team that needs to rebuild, but just basically a blip on the radar. They're regrouping, reloading. And this is the most optimistic I've been in a few years. I mean, I, I feel really good about this team. I was saying the bullpen terrified me for the last five years, even when that team was loaded. It was just this constant thing hanging over us. I, I'm I'm of the full belief that if the bullpen has not been properly addressed, I think they have addressed it as much as they can. But if it turns out that Justin Wilson is a bust and Francisco Rodriguez is over the hill overnight, whatever, Avila's not going to go down with the ship the way Dombrowski did with that bullpen. Dombrowski was so stubborn about addressing it. I know Tony Paul is an apologist for the Tigers not getting Andrew Miller. Oh, they thought they had him a couple years ago. That deal should have been done. You don't let Andrew Miller go and ended up biting them big time in the postseason and throughout the rest of the regular season. Look, Avila's not going to let that happen. If, these, if the guys he got aren't getting the job done, he'll find somebody that will or he'll die trying. Dombrowski was way too content going down with that ship. Well, and what they've done this offseason is not only fix holes, it's like they've fixed holes that aren't even there yet, to, in my opinion. That, like signing... Pelfrey to me because I said you know I'd rather go out and get the left fielder like Upton than spend eight million dollars a year on a fifth starter because I think Shane Green or if they wouldn't have let Kyle Lobstein go or Buck Farm one of these guys could have maybe filled that number five hole but they went and spent that money anyway so now they've got all these other guys who don't even have a role on the team 
who if anyone shows up in spring training looking good or goes down to Toledo and throwing lights out, they've got serious options now if there's injuries. And last year, like we said, they had none. And they didn't have anyone. I remember last year before the year saying, we, we need to pray that Derek Hill gets out of the box well in the minors so there's something they can trade. You know, remember we were talking about that? Yep. So when they could trade for Johnny Cueto at, at the deadline because they had nothing, that we needed someone to come through. And then <laughs> Hill stunk, Moya stunk, Collins, all these prospects were terrible. So they were just screwed out of the gate. They aren't that way this year. And for anyone, like I said, a guy who potentially can put up an 850 OPS, who's coming to a ballpark that should be uh, – accustomed to his swing, it's it just, it just a no-brainer. And the next no-brainer is you've got to bat him second. I'm hearing people saying he's got to bat sixth. Buster <laughs> only has Cameron Mabin in the two-hole. Uh, what? Cameron, Cameron Mabin, Mabin is not even going to start? Cameron, I mean. Cameron Mabin should be an option against, you know, Lefties only at like, the bottom of the at the, the bottom. Of the I don't. I don't mind. Lineup. You can bet maybe ninth or eighth or whatever. I don't yeah, care. but I, mean, I don't care me, about that. You're not going to have nine great hitters. You, the two spot me, is probably the most important spot in the lineup. You're not going to put Cameron Maben there with this lineup. If Ghost can hit get an OPS of somewhere around 700 against righties, being one of the few lefty bats in that lineup, uh, I know his defensive metrics weren't exactly stellar last year, but either were Mabins. The guy can run. He can field. He's got a good arm. I, I would rather see Ghost play most of the time with Maven playing against lefties and spelling Upton and JD and maybe you know you know we don't know what we're going to get out of Victor Martinez. We have no clue. I mean that's the that's the that's the million dollar question because this lineup if you've got a Victor Martinez even somewhere seventy five percent of what he was when he was the second MVP in two thousand and fourteen to Mike Trout. This offense is amazing. I mean, you've got Iglesias, who one of the better on-base percentages on the team, basically serving at the bottom of the lineup as kind of a second leadoff hitter, you know, because only one time through the lineup are you going to, you know, you're going one through nine with your normal lineup. But he could set the table if he bat him ninth and even goes eighth. Maybe Iglesias gets on base for Kinsler and uh, Cabrera and Upton batting second. So there's a lot of options, which another factor, because a lot of people keep saying to me, well, they've made all these moves, but they still have the same dumb fuck manager in Osmus. I'm going to reserve judgment on this. I'm hoping that all of the analytics hires that they've made since the, since Avila took over, and you combine that with the fact that this lineup should basically be idiot-proof. I know we've said that before, but who? if we're worried about bunting, where in this lineup is bunting going to be a concern? Maybe, maybe Iglesias and Ghost, but you're not going to be bunting Cabrera and Upton and Victor and JD, so I don't even think that's going to be a big issue playing small ball. I think they realize they've got a lineup that's going to be playing for the four or five-run inning, not playing for one run. You would just hope that it trickles down from the front office to to Osmus, and he's got plenty of options, hopefully in the bullpen, and that you know it, it works out with the brain dead manager. Because if he doesn't win this year, as I said last night on Twitter, uh, he's going to be auditioning for that new Baywatch movie because he's not going to be a baseball manager uh, of this team. And and really, there's a lot of pressure on him now 
Because if he fails with a $200 million payroll, it, good luck getting another job. Well, I think there's some hope for improvement there when you look at the circumstances surrounding his continued employment. We know that Avila basically begged out of the Garden Hire hiring. This is the guy that Illich wanted. He liked that old scrappy veteran, you know, with all the experience and the fierce hard nose and all that bullshit baseball cliche. Yeah, that, just, that was Illich's boy, Avila. Jim Leland uh, the second, yeah, of, right, basically. And we know from our very good source who. Didn't lead us astray, told us the truth. But the fact is the Tigers changed course. Avila talked Illich out of it, said, look, we are going the analytical route. We are, we are reshaping the organization. Dombrowski didn't get it done for X, Y, Z reasons. This is why this is going to work. And this guy will not fit the mold. He doesn't fit the direction we're going. And that's why Illich acquiesced. So I would think, and Avila alluded to conversations he would have with Brad Ausmus, that there are mistakes he made that he needs, he needs to learn from. Avila flat out said that. He didn't say what they were, but he said there were mistakes made in how this team was run that he believes Ausmus will learn from. I can't help but believe with the begging out of the garden hire hiring, with the emphasis on the analytical department, that those conversations didn't center somewhat around a more analytical managerial style. So no, he's going to do things that are going to piss us off before the first series is completed. I mean, that's I don't care who you hire. That's going to happen. But I think there'll be less of that this year, which would be a significant improvement. And, you know, you brought up the, oh, we don't know what we're going to get from Victor Martinez this year. You're right. But the other reason why this Upton signing is good is that if Victor shreds his knee tomorrow, God forbid, and misses the rest of the season or doesn't, doesn't play at all this year, you still have a viable middle of the order. You know, Upton, J.D. Martinez, Cabrera. I'm not counting on Victor for anything, basically. Vic, you put Victor in a position where he, he shifts from being someone you need to succeed, you need him to play very well to succeed, to now it's almost gravy. Look, obviously they'll be much better with him being productive than without him. But now it's not like this entire season is resting on Victor Martinez bouncing back. That's not the case anymore. You can take Victor out of the equation – Upton, Cabrera, J.D. Martinez, just as a middle of the order, is a 2-3-4, 3-4-5, how, however they're shuffled. That's one of the best 3-4-5s, 2-3-4s, whatever, in, in all baseball. And obviously they have other pieces. I think Castellanos is going to step up. Kinsler's a good hitter for a second baseman. This is a really good lineup even without Victor now, and that's the other reason. You go from Victor becoming someone you're depending on to Victor being gravy. And that, that's a huge transition to make. And just I want to point out that I've been begging the Tigers for – I don't know, maybe eight years to sign a backup catcher that had a little power. I've wanted that forever. Jared Seltolamakia hit, what, 25 home runs a couple years ago, hit 14 home runs in part-time duty two years ago, hit 15 home runs in part-time duty last year, whatever it was. This is a guy that it's going to hit between 10 and 20 home runs if he plays regularly. I'm not saying Seltolamakia is the end-all, be-all, but he's a guy with a career OPS of 730. Brian Holiday, the guy he's competing with, is 620. Smaller sample size, but the Tigers, even that little move, which costs nothing, Avila got a viable backup catcher where if McCann needs a spell, if McCann even got hurt, if you have your catcher giving you a 730 OPS, that's pretty damn good. That's better than most starters. That's our, that's our backup at this point. Yeah, they, so, filled, I mean, they filled every hole. Just, that's what I, even the backup catcher role was addressed on the cheap, but so well. I, I think Mike Avila, if he makes the team, is a solid 25th guy. I mean, Avila has run this team already, in my opinion, better than, than Dombrowski. And just small sample size, one offseason, and we'll see. Well, that's the but thing about this if move I had that, to guess. And Wojo, 
who has no clue, wakes up out of his retirement to tweet last night about the signing. Oh, this is all Illich. This is an Illich move. No, it's not. He doesn't have his finger. You don't on the get it. You don't understand. There's a reason why on December 18th I was first told that this was a possibility, and I didn't run with it until January 2nd when I was told once again that the Tigers' primary goal was to sign Justin Upton. That's the baseball people. That's the analytics department. That's Al Avila. It seems like the opening was was probably um, provided for the team for Avila to to swoop in and get Upton when Scott Boris made his normal you know pillow talk call to Mike and tried to get him to sign on to Chris Davis, who was not a fit at all. And in the past, I could have seen Chris Davis in a Tigers uniform because I could just see you know Boris working Illich. Saying, "Oh man, you need this guy. You got a strictly right-handed lineup. You need a lefty. He can play the outfield. He's a bat. You know, he can play DH if Victor gets hurt. Blah blah blah. You can just see that conversation unfolding with Boris calling directly to Illich on his cell phone and having that conversation. And I'm guessing that conversation occurred. And Mike Illich went to to uh, Al, Al Avila and said, "Oh, we can get Chris Davis." And that was the opening that Al Avila needed. To say, well. If we're going to spend the money, we need a guy who can actually field the position at Comerica Park. And let me let me lay out to you why it would be better to get Justin Upton. And I think that's what happened instead of, you know, Dombrowski just saying to Illich, okay, well, that's what you want. That's what we're going to get. And I and I think you you can you know you can criticize keeping Osmus all you want, but unless. Manny actor Gabe Kapler was going to be brought in, you and I were going to be complaining about whoever the next manager was anyway. We would be getting probably someone with a lot similar worldview of Brad Osmus. So let's see how it plays out. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a long leash for Brad Osmus coming out of the gate anyway, especially with lame duck. He's got to win. He better win. Well, that's it. He's an expiring contract, which you don't see very often. Most managers won't even manage under those circumstances. Right. And let's talk about, before we go to the break, we'll, let's talk about Illich a little more because you mentioned your inside source uh, at, at the Tigers um, who broke, who gave us the story about Osmus being fired and then thing, obviously, you know, Bernie Smile, it's a WDIV, picked up on the story. The Free Press, George Sippel wrote the same story. We weren't the only one with the fit, story. Everyone wasn't wrong. It was a fait complete, yeah. and then things changed, yep. which, and we've owned it. I mean, we're not trying to say, no. we've said, we, you know, we, we, we got it wrong, thing, because, but that's what happens, and we've, we've been fully honest about it and yep. taken the hits, and I will continue to. But this is a little bit of a different note. I know everyone's saying that, oh, yeah, he came in, it's a February sign, but this... Paying the luxury tax and taking this salary to t- almost $200 million, that is rarefied air that we haven't even seen him do. Even when he got brought in uh, Prince Fielder, we were never at a, you know, at a ratio of total salary to revenue that we see now. To me, this is, this is just above and beyond. Yesterday morning, before this broke, I said I tweeted out, not knowing this was coming yesterday, that you look at the New York Mets, who just you know made a World Series run last year. They've done nothing this off season. They didn't bring Cespedes. Their payroll's like in the low hundred, like what, one hundred ten, one hundred fifteen million dollars. They're in a city that's got 
how many millions of people, the biggest city in this country, all of that money they get from cable revenue, and we've got an $85 million payroll more than the New York Mets. That's why I said, you know, I was upset with Illich when he first made those comments that I'll sign anybody, money's never an option. Money has been kind of an option. There's been a, a bar that he would not cross until last night. And we speculated, you're speculating about his health and how he f- figures he cheated death. There was also another couple of theories in the DSR last night. One, which Jim, Jim Petro, can't use his real name for legal reasons, suggested, and which I completely agree, is part of this is, I think, a, a, a dick-measuring contest with Dombrowski. He does not want Dombrowski to win a World Series in Boston before he wins in, a, in Detroit. It's bad enough, like you said, that the, the Royals won before us uh, in 2015. But I think this is kind of like a personal thing between him and Dombrowski at this point now. Uh, there's no question. Mike Illich is hyper-competitive. This is a guy who used any type of slight or any, any type of failure of him very seriously. You look at Fedorov, Scherzer, countless other examples in the past with this ownership. Mike Illich, obviously Dombrowski didn't do wrong by him, but there is a sense that Dombrowski here, – here, this isn't speculation. This is something directly from my conversation with our source, very, very close to Mike Illich. He thinks Dombrowski failed him. Dombrowski came to him on numerous occasions over the last several years and said, if we get this piece, I think we're going to get that title. If we do this – then we're going to get to where we want to be. And it just it, it didn't happen over and over again. And you could say – some people say the Tigers came close to winning a championship. I don't think they did. I mean, they, they won two pennants, but they went one and eight in those World Series, both as prohibitive favorites. They weren't like an out away. Or the closest straight. that they came to winning a World Series was the 13. year that they didn't get to the World Series. Right, I right. Mean, we both that, that, was the that. Be, that was the best team losing to Boston and because of the meltdown that was largely avoidable if Dombrowski had made the right moves. But the, the per- perception from Mike Illich, he doesn't hate Dombrowski. It wasn't that he betrayed him. It's, it doesn't go to that level. But he does feel that Dombrowski let him down, that Dombrowski said, if we do things a certain way, the way I want them to be done, I'm going to get you that title that you crave. And it didn't work out. He just didn't get the job done. So, no, he doesn't hate Dombrowski, but he does feel Dombrowski failed him and let him down. And the, the idea of Dombrowski going and winning a title elsewhere, I mean – I can't imagine that that sits well. So I mean that again. I, I haven't. I don't have any inside information on specifically how much he cares about Dombrowski winning in Boston. But just knowing, I just what, can knowing what I know yeah. about how he feels, Dombrowski let him down. I would think that that's not going to sit too well with him. And Boston is going to be viable, you know, going forward. So it's very viable. They're going to be. I think they're the third favorite in Vegas right now to win it all, third or fourth. Yeah. So you know, but you agree with me that this what what happened last night is is, is different. It's a new step. I mean, it's, it's something. It's a new level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no. There's, I don't what, think there's any is, debating it. They haven't done it before. There's 160 million dollars already on the payroll for next year. Something crazy. Yeah, I read like it's that. Tied up into like I mean, six holy guys or something. shit. I mean, yeah. it's it's unbelievable. And like I, once I like I said, I don't think I ever finished the point, but I said yesterday on Twitter that. He doesn't owe us anything. If if he wants to stick to being somewhere around 180 million under that luxury tax, how, how can you complain? The revenue, I do, I still don't believe the revenue. Um, even with, even if you get sell three million tickets, that you can really recoup that with the current TV contract that they have. 
I just don't think the math would work. I think he's probably losing $15, $20 million a year. Now, nobody's going to cry for him. He's a multi-billionaire. No, but, you say no but, one's going to cry for him. Most owners don't do that, though. That's what I'm saying. Most <laughs> owners would not have done what he did yesterday. No. And I, I applaud him for it, and I, I'm grateful. And I'm, now I'm very looking forward to this season starting, and hopefully, hopefully um, we finally get the, what we've been waiting for, at least I've been waiting for since 1984, and that you've never had. The last thing we'll talk about the Tigers before we go to break is our good friend from the Detroit News. You're wearing his jersey tonight, today in honor of this Upton signing. The, maybe we'll tweet a picture out at, uh, at the break. Your Henning sucks. Uh, what's the number on it? I don't know. Is it 66, I think? Let me I can't, see. I don't can't even remember. What is it? Yeah, 66. I don't know. Maybe the sign of the devil. I don't know. But uh, Lynn Henning, our good friend, who's never been right about anything, regarding the Tigers in his life, which would probably be a less of a problem if he wasn't a Tigers writer for the Detroit News. This is the same guy who in 2005 said what, Justin? That the Tigers were, quote, five to ten years away from competing in the AL Central. Five to ten years away from even competing for the division. Right. Can you imagine, like, and the next nine year, years away from and the ne- And the next year, what happened? Uh, well, they didn't win the division. No, but they got to the World <laughs> Series. <laughs> they competed for the division. They lost it on the last day. But this, the same guy who how many prospect- division how many division titles did they win from the time like four? Yeah, and, and mean, came and, and made the playoffs two other times. I think the year that the ten years expired was the, what this year where they, we they made the playoffs where like we six times. where we didn't where we didn't compete. So he was right in 2015 that we weren't competitive. But the guy's been wrong about just about everything. Every prospect that we've ever traded, he said, it's going to come and kick us in the ass. We're going to regret it. It's never happened, basically. And the same, the same moron who said that Jabba Chamberlain was going to sign a 50 to $60 million contract uh, last year. The Tigers, he says that the Tigers will rue the day they trade and then fill in the prospect that they traded in any deal. Oh, how about Joel Zamaya, the year he signed with Minnesota? He's going to be the steal of the offseason. Yeah. This guy has guy always, game. always been wrong. So let's go back because we had I, – I, I had saved some tweets of his over the last few months, and then I lost them. But thankfully, the Jeff Moss DSR Twitter followers helped me out. Here were some of his tweets over the last couple of months. This is from November sixteenth, two 2015. In response to a question from someone who, uh, I don't know why they would ask for his advice or his expert opinion, do you think that they will sign anyone of significance in free agency? This was Henning's quote. Quote, we'll sign a pair of affordable starters and probably two relievers and a low-cost left fielder. That's what he said on November 16th. Uh, Okay, Zimmerman, not exactly affordable. Low-cost left fielder, they just signed... Uh, upped into uh, $132 million. The first team, I mean, not only is he dead wrong, but this was his this was his mantra for months. The Tigers are going to get second-tier guys. They're not going to spend a ton of money. They really can't fill all their holes. They became the second team in the history of baseball to hand out two separate $100 million contracts. In the same offseason. The other being the Yankees. Yeah, you missed it just by that much. All right. 
let's go on to his next tweet. Hold on a second. I just uh, and let me just interject yeah, while you're looking. I mean, you you looked it up. I'm going to interject that it's not just that he's wrong about what the ultimate outcome is going to be. I mean, that's been demonstrated time and time again that he's just going to end up being wrong. I mean, just objectively wrong. But it's also the nature of the analysis after the fact. Not only did he predict that the Tigers would not be making any splashes in the offseason, but he also argued for why it was smart that they didn't, that they don't want to get too committed. They already have too many millions committed for the next five years to players in their 30s, what have you. So he was not only saying that this wouldn't happen, he was defending why it was intelligent for it not to happen. And then when he was wrong, he's saying Illich, best owner in sports, great signing, turn the season on its head. So... I mean, was it a good move to make these signings or not? So it's not just that he's wrong about it happening. It's the changing in tune. He doesn't criticize this team. I mean, everything Illich does, the Tigers do, there's just he, he's just so typical of this media that he doesn't want to make any waves, doesn't want to disrupt, or doesn't want to rock the boat. This is from uh, November 4th. Another reader says, where does Avila strike first this weekend? If so, Zimmerman, Chen, Henning's response, no big investments on top drawer free agents for Detroit and shouldn't be. Yeah, there you pro- go. Perfect. There right, you go. Right. They'll probably they'll go small, probably rapidly. I mean, you couldn't be more wrong. If but you, again, if you will tried. you please comment, it's not just that he's no, wrong. Right. Why is the analysis change? Anyone can be wrong. See, that's the, that's the that's actually no, the, no, no, no. Anyone can be that's... wrong, but you but his history is no, so bad. I, at this I, point. I agree, and that's a big. I'm not defending him. He's wrong more than anybody. He's like he's never right. He's almost talented in how bad he is. But that's I don't think. No, I understand his. You're right. He, he's inept, but that's ineptness. But then he's just inept, that's just general ineptitude, which he is. He has in spades. But I don't think that's something worthy of. You know, moral or character condemnation. But what is, is the changing narrative that he has, as I've mentioned, why is it all of a sudden the move of the century to make these signings when he was saying that they shouldn't make he these wrote, exact He moves? wrote article after article saying, this is the plan. You need to sell everything, start rebuilding. And then when they go and do what they did, you're right. It's, it's completely... That's where it's dishonest. Not only that, it's con- and he's condescending. If right. anybody suggests... Bef- if, if you suggest over the last four months that you're wrong, that, that Illich is going to sign, that we have inside information that he's going to do this, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm a Detroit News well, baseball it, writer. L- listen to this one. This is another question. Very true. Do you think the Tigers roster is set? This is on the January 7th. Cespedes being a Rock Nation client, highest bidder, any chance he comes back. January 7th of this year, only way Cespedes or Upton would make it. Still in the market in February – Irresistible price for Mike I, quote, next to no chance. This is less than two weeks ago, and, mind you, five days after the DSR reported that Upton was our number one target and that the Tigers were heavily interested and they weren't done with left field. And, and Lynn Henning is special not because he does a 180. 180 is bad enough. He does actually a full 360. He comes back around to his original point. We were laughing about the whole Brad Ausmus, Ron Gardner situation. He said that the Tigers shouldn't fire Ausmus and should not go after Gardner. And then the report came out that Ausmus would be fired, and he didn't acknowledge our report, but when it became rapidly spread, it came out that Gardner was the guy that they were interested in. So he went from saying Ausmus should stay to, 
oh, well, obviously Garden hires the right move. He he would people would tweet at him. Well, what do you think of the DSR report about Garden hire? Oh, yeah, that's stupid. That whatever. Yeah, we were making it up. Right, we were making it up, we and, had no and it, it wouldn't be a good move anyway. And then when it came out from WDIV, the Detroit Free Press, that Garden hire was the top target, and who was they who they were speaking to. Then all of a sudden, it was the obvious move. Of course, of course, they're going to go after Garden Hire. So there's the 180. But he does a full 360. When they bring back Ausmus, he comes back around. And then he defended the Brad Ausmus retention. Yeah. So, I mean, you go from Ausmus should stay. That Okay, the Tigers, it comes out that he's probably not going to stay. Oh, okay, that's the right move. Obviously, Garden Hire, you have to get him. I mean, right? And then when they choose not to, okay, now we're back to good thing they kept Ausmus. So there's nobody more rattled. He's not even a 180. He, 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 he did a full 360. And he lies. He lied about the 5-10 well, to just, ten year thing. Right. And then you we, had, out the night we had to produce. I had to pro- Actually, I had to literally produce the article, which took – like I had to pay for it. I, had to, I mean, it wasn't easy. It wasn't archived anymore. I had to go find – I think I might have went to the library or something and took a picture of it. I had to like find that article before he admitted, unless it was in black and white. He denied the job of Chamberlain forty to fifty million thing until it was the, the thrown in his face. Thrown in his face, and then he said, "Well, that's a mischaracterization." You know, had he continued on that rate, yeah. Or, and, and, it, and he said he because he thought he was going to be a starting pitcher again, which nobody in the world thought he was no. going to be. He just makes stuff up. And based, there's oh, nobody. Oh, if he had had his two two twenty ERA the whole season, okay. But he wasn't a good bet to have that. First of all, even if he had it, he wouldn't get the $50 million contract. But you're, the whole point is he's probably not a good bet. This is a small sample size where he's been successful. He's probably, based on his career numbers, not a very good bet to maintain this level of production. So even And again, even if he had it, it wouldn't have mattered. He'd be nowhere near what he was. But he's just disingenuous. No, he's a liar. He's an absolute liar. No, he yeah, flat out lies. Yeah. And there's nobody more rattled by the new paradigm of where everyone has a voice, and some are larger than others. He resents it so much. He resents the fact that there's someone like me out there who can call him on his bullshit, who can fact-check what he says, and throw it back in his face when he's wrong. He cannot stand it, because for the first 25 or 30 years of his career, he could write whatever he, he no wanted. No one would remember what he tweeted. Nobody would remember. There was, no I mean, there was no Twitter. There was no, there was no internet where you could even look this stuff up. You you literally would have to go to the news the, the racks at the... Detroit Public Library and say you wanted to either find an old article or go on Microfish. I don't know if you, you know, might be old kids out there listening, but I don't know what Microfish is. That was the only way to like catch these guys with their bullshit. And now it's a click away and there is nobody who resents it and more rattled by it than Lynn Henning. And I'm going to give you one more before we go to the break. Uh, Lynn Henning tweet. This was from DSR reader, actually, Kyle Dempster. Big move needs to come. This is December 4th. Illich talked big, and whether he meant it or not, fans heard him. This doesn't move any fans' needle. Are you ready for this one? He wasn't going to spend $200 million. He already beat my expectations when he signed Zimmerman. The circle is complete. You know nothing about this team. You know less than the fans. You, you've covered this team for decades and you've been wrong about just about every major story that has ever come out. Can I just very, very, very briefly touch on that piece of crap, Anthony Fennick, and what he did in the wake of this signing coming out? Yep. Anthony Fennick tweets out, and this is something I, I've gone after Chris Broussard for, ESPN basketball writer. This is this is like the new trend in Twitter, uh, and, and nothing worse is when Fennick did it, because at least these other guys are a name. 
where someone will have this story come out. You know, Bob Nightingale, uh, Buster Olney, Ken Rosenthal, whomever. And they'll say, you know, they'll report done deal, verge of done deal, whatever. And they'll say, this deal's done, six years, whatever. And then someone will come in like an hour later after John Heyman has picked it up, Buster Olney's confirmed it, and they'll be like ninth in line and say, my sources also can confirm that this happened. What? Who needs you? Who? You're not needed. Even if you're second in line, it doesn't make sense. Anthony, we don't need your rubber stamp. Anthony Fennick was getting bombed on Twitter the the news of Upton signing had broken over an hour earlier, saying that they were on the verge of the deal, that it wasn't quite done yet. They were working out final details. And he hadn't even tweeted anything. People were tweeting at you and I saying, oh, he must be hitting the bar again. You know, it's like, where is he? How do you not even comment on this? And then all of a sudden, not only he had no speculation on this, no comment about it, no commentary about the breaking report, his first tweet coming out of nowhere after it's already been confirmed by John Heyman, Buster Olney and Ken Rosenthal Bob and, I, and Bob Nightingale. It's, it, that four off the top of my head that already said done deal. He's coming to Detroit six years. Terms were out. Fennec comes in with his first tweet on the subject and says, my source also confirms done deal. E- even Okay, first of all, we all know he doesn't have a source. What, if he had a source, why, why isn't he not broken a single thing yet? E- at least Tony Paul had sources with the Soria stuff and was right about all the stuff he said. Not to mention, like, Paul the day before tipped us off basically – that something was coming, right? By that saying they were that, acting fishy, that they were at, yeah. all the people he was talking to about. Whenever he'd ask, "Is there anything going on at left field?" They would, they would, they say, would no. say no, and, and now nobody was it. nobody right. was responding to him at all or right. answering his questions. So, I mean, that was my first. That was really the first sign that I thought something was happening, just because I, I trust Tony's reporting. And when he said that those people were acting a little bizarre, Tony wouldn't say that unless. He was pretty sure that something probably was something going on. Something was up. And it, and it yeah. was. That even if, was a, even if that it didn't was fully materialize. But I, I just – and a lot of people like – Chris Broussard does it all the time where the story's already confirmed by great sources. And I always tweet out, you know, I can also confirm this. You know, it, it, I hate when people do it. Anthony Fennec hasn't broken a story, hasn't done anything. Not only broken a story, hasn't had any inside insight about what so-and-so with the team is thinking, management, personnel, whatever – at no point has he introduced any unique insight into any situation with this team. And this guy has the gall to come out an hour after the story has been broken to say, I can confirm this is true after it's been confirmed by every reputable national source on these matters. It's just disgusting behavior. That It's dishonest. Who actually believes he has a source? And even if you did, even if I took him at his word and said, you know what, Anthony Fedek has a great source on this, why even say it? If I had a good source with the, with the Tigers on this matter and I called them up and they said, yeah, yeah, you know, I can confirm it, I wouldn't even bother. I'm, I'm not going to bother tweeting my right. confirmation when I'd be the ninth person in line. It's just – it's despicable behavior. It's so dishonest. Drink some Flint water, Anthony Fennec. That's all I got to say. And with that, we're going to go to a break and we'll be back and I don't know. What are we going to talk about? I have no clue. I want to talk about the uh, this week in Detroit sports topics. And I want to talk about Ben Wallace's jersey retirement, if you want to talk about that for a few minutes. Well, a few minutes, but I want to do my topics after the break. After the break, we're going to do that? Yeah. All it's right. Be a we white, will do white. No sunshine when- This is a previously recorded episode. We're back on the DSR podcast, episode 14. Thank you to the Delphonics there from the movie Jackie Brown. Leading us out of the break. Although if you're listening on the archive, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about because I think they – doesn't uh, Dave edit out all the music? Uh, yeah, usually. I think we should – people like want us to keep the music. They just love my well, DJ it. skills. 
No, they don't. Yeah, I get a lot of. I do. I get a lot of people. <laughs> for every person that wants to sit and listen to the song, there's probably a hundred that just want to skip back to this segment. So maybe you have a few of those people. Well, there is a uh, fast forward button on the thing. Yeah, but then you have to like do it. I always wanted to be a DJ. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, what do you want to be a DJ or a I, radio I, personality? <laughs> I, I love playing. When I was in the high school radio station, uh, I love playing songs. So can I call you like a, a wannabe DJ? You call me a wannabe I DJ. I can call you a wannabe DJ. Yeah, definitely. Just not, a, just not a wannabe grave, graveyard shift radio guy. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, that's a nice segue into our next topic. We haven't done it for a few weeks. One of my favorite segments. Mainly because you were kind of uh, out of... I was commission. gone, and then last week we just didn't get to it. We forgot. I am I'm, I'm bringing back this week in Detroit Sports Radio Topics. This is actually spanning two weeks, which means I had to do a lot of editing of these. I have uh, – I think I had about 30, and I pared it down uh, because we'd be here all night. But this So is, these are the topics. Actual topics. Actual topics on Detroit Sports Talk Radio stations, either 97.1, the ticket – or 105.1, The Plagiarist. <laughs> in the last 14 days alone. Okay. Here Let's we go. go. Here we go. go. Doug saw something in the sky last night. Have you ever spotted a UFO? <laughs> Come on. I swear to God. You, you started off with that one? You always say, you always say I'm making these up. I'm not, I'm making, not saying you're making it up. So, I just can't believe it. Did you play Powerball? Do you like the idea of a lottery? Should celebrities be allowed to play the lottery? What, what is what is your favorite? Wait, 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 what should cele- should celebrities be allowed? That, to- that was a thing going on now where people were mad at celebrities, certain celebrities, for tweeting out that you know, oh, I hope I win Powerball, and they would tweet out a picture of them holding their Powerball ticket, and people were actually like really mad that a millionaire of any type would be playing the lottery. It's like get That's out of retarded. Oh yeah, why? Like why? Why? Should Just because they, not- they worked harder than you doesn't mean that they can make more. Means that they can't make more money. Thank and you. Win the lottery. Thank you. So That's you're, bullshit. You're, you're uh, not retarded. At the, at the risk of sounding inappropriate <laughs> in bed with me on this one, I wouldn't Ma- care. Moss like, is Moss is the one that absolutely no, I hates care. anybody that makes over no. like twenty five thousand a year. But yeah. But are, you a, are you a hater? He's a total. No, I'm not. I just think they should be taxed at seventy five percent. Yeah, he's like Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Fan. He he crazy. he begrudges anyone that makes money. No, I don't. Yes, you Until do. you win the lottery and you'd be like, this tax bracket no. is bullshit this year. No, I would never. I'm selectively <laughs> I don't complain judgmental. about taxes. I'm in a high tax rate. I don't complain. I never complain about taxes in my life. I mean, I'm not obviously in your level, but I, I I'm sure there's a lot of people who would like my the average household income I have, and I've never complained about taxes and. Uh, I'm voting for Bernie Sanders. So go on. Let's think, not I, get off on a tangent I, about Bernie Sanders. I think, I think, I think my family pays enough. Uh, what, what is your favorite party beverage? Do you think beer should be allowed at the library? Once again, these are Detroit Sports Talk radio topics in case you're just tuning in. Detroit Sports Radio topics. Actual topics do you from drink, the last... Do you drink at the library? What? Should you be allowed to drink beer at the library? Who even come? I mean, forget the fact... Well, I assume oh, somebody... Jessica, usually, Jessica, let me tell you just for a second. Go forget ahead. the fact that these aren't sports topics on a sports station. Where would you even come up with the idea of drinking liquor at a library. Beer. I it was, literally it was, it have no beer. idea. And we're in, well, and why would I drink beer at the freaking library? I'm well, going I'm just there. Just these, these are well, I never go to the library. Gotta, if I want a book, I get it off of Amazon. Well, that's a good point, too. But the problem, you yeah, like to drink. It's 2015. But have you ever thought about drinking at a library? No, that's stupid. Usually, Who does that? Usually what happens why? is Why? Why would some, you do that? I'll tell you how they usually do it. There's oh, very people actually do it. They actually go to the library, get drunk, and read a book. I don't know. That's a good time for them. I have no 
friends. Idea. They need I don't a life. Listen, I, don't listen to the, I don't listen to when they talk sports, let alone this dreck. But <laughs> here's how they usually get these topics. There's very yeah. little show prep. Matt Derry used to text me back in the day, giggle, giggle. Valeni showed up 10 minutes before the show. Giggle, giggle, no prep Yeah, today. definitely definitely shows in their actual show, which well, is sort of about sports and then also they other just, crap. They just Pointless go. Crap. They just go with the wind. What happens is someone will call in and say, yeah, you know, I was at the library uh, drinking a beer the other day and blah, blah, blah. And then I'll be, wait a minute, Joe in Rochester drank a beer at the library? That's that's it. We're going to take calls 248 you know, Have you ever had beer at the library? Oh, and so it's a, they call it caller-driven radio, and it's literally – it's driven by the callers. The callers will Apparently. call in. Hey, hey, look at half the ones that I dropped were caller Joe from Farmington has a strong opinion on the Eagles. What are your thoughts? I mean, so someone will call in and it's like it'll be an hour-long tangent. Can you imagine if like Colin Coward or Howard Stern ran their show this way? It's just there's just no preparation. They wouldn't really have a whole lot of listeners, I wouldn't think. Well, what, the other day, one of the ones that I didn't even include on this list, a caller called in and said that they had spent, I think it was $2,000 on Powerball tickets. I already had two in reference to the lottery, which is why I dropped it. They ended up talking about this. I had people tweeting this to me for an hour. About they've been talking about an, for an hour about this one caller that called and said, "Yeah, I just spent two thousand dollars in Powerball tickets." So what so was they're the, all mutually retarded? Is pretty what you're much. Saying? What was the show prep? If there was a show prep meeting, what what was discussed in this meeting? Because it's the entire show was based on what random callers called in and said, and it wasn't even the nature of their call. You know, again. Hey, I was having a beer at the library the other day, and then it makes whatever point they make, and it becomes this hour-long mushroom. It's just – it's unbelievable. I've literally seen people come in here and not have any show prep put together and still put on a show that still revolved around what their actual show was about. So I just, I guess, no, it really isn't. It's not rocket science. And And if it's that hard for you, then maybe you should, you know, I don't know, find another industry to jump into. You would, you would think, but I'll I'll tell you, I made this popular. I made this point on the DSR Facebook page the other day. I said, look, I don't, I don't think, I'm not one of those subscribers to the Ryan Schilling theory, although I I, were close. I don't think you have to be 100% sports. I think if you're like 87%, you're good. I like my, I'm the, the biggest Colin Coward fan on earth. He'll talk about third this, time you mentioned him today. He'll, he'll talk about, and that's low actually him. for me. I, I'm in. I'm like just. I'm in love with Colin Coward. My anniversary gift for my <laughs> wife was to go meet him at his uh, liquor store. Story, yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm not telling the story. I'm I just know. mentioning We've heard, it. We've heard. Look, Colin Coward. Colin Coward will talk about what? No, I want to make this point. We'll talk about this movie he went to, or this, that, and the other, and, and then you know, then I'll talk about sports the rest of the time. I'm not saying you're not. There's an embargo on anything non-sports related, but this is the this isn't exceptions to their discussions. Moving on, this is this is the rule. Speaking of rules, this was a real topic this week. Do you believe in the five second rule? Meaning, like when you drop food on the ground, and as long as you pick it up within five seconds, you can eat it. Which this was, was a topic. Was that McAllister that, and Stoney? That was uh, Carson Anderson. Oh well, we know the answer for Karsh. He's got a five thousand minute rule. <laughs> do you mean you, you don't mean? <laughs> I mean Karsh. Anderson. I'm sorry, yeah. Anderson. Anderson. Uh, do they, doctors love being called doctor? Why that's a subject I have no idea. Do you want to see more diversity at the Oscars? Good sports topic. <laughs> Annoying things people do with their cell phones. Would you do pornography for a million dollars? Was David Bowie a top five musician? What's the most annoying thing about your kids? <laughs> Who is the best dressed person at the 971 office? That, that was what, 20? And I had to pare this list down. This is from the last like 12 days. You didn't even get to the fact that we were both 
copied on a uh, tweet from one of our followers, which, like you said, I haven't listened to sports talk radio in this town for a decade. Um, you haven't listened, I don't know, how since when, basically. Other than like a random Ran, segment right. after Valenti going off after Michigan loss or whatever. Which is, which is more than I do. Yeah. But I'm only, we're constantly updated by our readers and our followers about what's going on. And the other day someone said to us that the day that Caldwell was kept, it, which was broke in the morning, people were calling in and wanted to talk about the Lions on 97.1, a sports talk station, a station that's broadcast the Lions for – Many years they just lost the rights, but they're you know up until a couple weeks ago they were their freaking ostensibly a sports radio yeah, station exactly. And Bill McAllister was complaining that people were calling in and wanted to talk about the Lions instead of talking about sex. What they were doing, I guess they were talking sex stories before the news broke, and he was complaining about it on a sports station that people wanted to talk about the most popular Detroit sports team. In this city. Yeah, apparently he was rattled. Like, stop calling about sports. Wow. That's <laughs> How dare you call 97 really the ticket, the sports station, number one sports station town, about the Detroit Lions. How dare you? Especially, I mean, in any context, let alone a major, major story for the NFL team in town breaking. Okay, I mean, so you just... found a topic about sports, and we're going to we, – we didn't even want to just give this to you. Uh, with Spiro reading it. So we actually pulled the audio of this. So when they finally got to a sports topic, this is – and Jessica's going to play it. This is what they, they discussed. Six still available. What is your Pistons Mount Rushmore? We have not done a Mount Rushmore in forever. It's been a long time since we've done a Mount Rushmore. Who are your four favorite Detroit Pistons doesn't have to be based on performance or stats. It's just your favorite favorite player. Dana Barrows. It doesn't have to be. 97. Give the number out, Bill. Can't text in. Can't text. Tony and Bill, 97. I mean, so we finally get Sony and Bill to discuss sports, however begrudgingly it is. Kicking and screaming. They finally can be dragged into a sports discussion, and what do they land on? The Mount Rushmore. The Mount Rushmore, which is the running gag for the laziest. I mean, not just in this market. That's like in the country. That's a dog whistle that for absolute mailed-in radio. That's something Jim, Everywhere. Rome, Jim Rome has made fun of before. Like, I'm not going to sit here and do the Mount Rushmore of XYZ. Like, it, it is a national joke to go that route. It is what you do when you have nothing left in the tank and you don't want to prepare. You just throw that out there and people will eat that shit up and call on it for hours. Yeah, I mean, that's just, we, that, we, that is we, so embarrassing. We make fun of them for that all the time, just these stations in town say, oh, and usually, at least this one was sports-related. I've had a topic, Stoney and Bill, a few years ago, did the Mount Rushmore of- Candy? Well, probably, but I the one I'm referring to, I remember them doing the Mount Rushmore of burger joints in Metro Detroit. Yeah, it's- You know, it's- the Mount Rushmore of whatever. I mean, this one was at least sports related, but it is just the laziest dreck. But it doesn't do. I, it, it was great. It was the Mount Rushmore of Pistons with no, but no qualifications whatsoever. Right. Just like, just, who are best. your four favorite Pistons? I, I mean, like uh, seriously, uh, why do I care can what we talk, Caller can we, Ray thinks? Can we talk about the Pistons for a second, though? About you went to the game the other night, Saturday night. Yeah. DSR contributor and co-host of this show on occasion. Impressive performance against the Warriors, which Jasper is followed Abelonia. by a not-so-impressive performance against the Bulls a few days later. But, uh, you know, here's, where I, here's what I'll say about the Pistons. 
we have to keep perspective here. I went on a, I wouldn't even call it a Twitter rant. I made a few comments on Twitter in the immediate wake of that Chicago Bulls game. It was discouraging. There are elements of this team, players on this team, that are acting like the 04 era Pistons, but at least that team like kind of earned the right to be jackasses. There are some concerning elements, but taking a step back, big picture, this team won 30 games last year. They're going to be over 40 wins this year. I mean, you're looking at probably about a 20% improvement in the win column, which is huge considering that there were no major additions made. It's not like they signed LeBron or something. I mean, this is a pretty big jump from one year, uh, from year one, I should say, of a new era to year two. I mean, their record's been pretty damn good if you you start from the point where they released Josh Smith. They were over 500. Uh, last year after that point, and now they're in the playoff the thing, mix. The thing that, I mean, every team in pro sports, but especially the NBA more than any other, is very Jekyll and Hyde where you'll blow out the Warriors one night and, and you'll lose to the 76ers the next night. I mean, it's just, it's just a well, weird Well, just league. the way they lost, just but, so fucking but th- dumb. Right, but this team has more than a fair share of, of stink bombs, and, and that's, what's, that's what's frustrating. And there are pieces from this team that are not going to be here if and when they become a championship contender. I mean, all I want from this team this year is uh, make the playoffs in one playoff round win. That's, I, that's Oh, that might be asking too much. It might be. They'll make we'll the playoffs. I think they'll make the playoffs, but I don't know about winning But I think they – I mean, really, they should be a five, four or five, five or six, something along those lines. They got the, they've got the talent to do it. If they, you know, play – they don't have to – obviously, they're not going to play every night like they did against Golden State. But when you have the ability to – Defeat a team that had lost three games in the season, and it's like January nineteenth. And you played them very strongly on the second half of a back-to-back in Golden State. You were in the game in the fourth quarter when they hadn't even lost yet back a few months ago. And what they beat the Cleveland Cavaliers, who's number one in our conference. So if you have the ability to do that when you show up and you play like you did yesterday against Chicago, it's just kind of maddening. And I hope Stan Van Gundy gets that under control. There's a little more consistency, and that they, they, you know, maybe get the five seed or something, and maybe can can win one playoff run. But the the reason I want to talk about the Pistons was the other thing that happened the night that you went to that game where they defeated the Warriors, and that's the retirement of Ben Wallace's jersey, which became a huge bone of contention on the DSR website, which seemed to kind of cross generate generate generation. Generational, generational. Lines. I don't know why I'm butchering that word. It's not a tough word. Today, Junior. Yeah, seriously. I'm like Drew Sharp in studio with Terry Foster. Yeah, generational. I got it. Lines. I don't think Ben Ben Wallace's jersey should have been retired. I don't think there's any way in the world that Ben Wallace's jersey should be retired. And I know people are saying, "Why do you care about jersey retirement?" For some reason, I don't care about All Star games. I don't care about MVP votes. I don't care about the Hall of Fame even. The one thing I've always, for some reason, and maybe it's not logical, that I have cared about is teams retiring jerseys because it's controlled by the organization. It's not based on some East Coast uh, New York and Boston writers not voting in Trammell and Whitaker in the Hall of Fame or you know a seasonal award when you don't win at all which I don't care about. I don't care if Justin Verlander or Miggy's the MVP when we, when we don't win the World Series again for the you know, fifth year making the playoffs, whatever. But I've always put retiring jerseys on a pedestal. And other than the Sergei Fedorov Red Wing thing, which we won't discuss, the Red Wings pretty much get it 100% right. 
and I think one day Sergey's jersey will be retired. It might be after Mike Kilich is dead. The Pistons, to me, treat this so frivolously that it means next to nothing a jersey retirement. They retired Vinnie Johnson's jersey, a guy who was not a starter, came off the bench. I guess I, if I was comparing him, it would be like the Red Wings, to me, retiring uh, Chris Draper's jersey. Okay? And Chris Draper, you can Chris make Draper fun. Chris Draper was a lifer. Yeah, you can make fun of Chris Draper, but Chris Draper like made a Canada Cup for Team Canada. Won a Selkie? Yeah, he was, well, I don't know, if, did he win a Selkie, yeah. Draper? I mean, yeah. he was a pretty damn Draper good third-line third player defensive player. He he had a role. Like like Vinny Jones. There's no way in the world the Red Wings would be retiring Chris Draper's jersey. The Red Wings might not even retire Chris Osgood's jersey. You've, they've minimalized it. I don't think Bill Lambert's jersey should have been retired. Dennis Rodman didn't play here enough to have his jersey retired, even though he was a great player. These are, nobody's arguing. People say, oh, the Pistons would never have won a title without uh, without Ben Wallace. Well, yeah, of course, but the Red Wings might never have won a certain Stanley Cup without Brennan Shanahan. Maybe you could make that case. But the, the Red Wings aren't going to be retiring Brennan Shanahan's jersey. That's no argument. The guy played here for, what, seven seasons or part of eight, whatever it was, he left under bad circumstances. For a period of the time, he was a cancer on the team, uh, sabotaging coaching decisions and coaches. And I just think, I just think that Joe Dumars, Isaiah Thomas, two Hall of Famers, Bob Lanier, Dave Bing, those are the only four Piston jerseys that should be retired. And when you retire a Chauncey Billups or a Ben Wallace or a Dennis Rodman, you're cheapening the accomplishment of what those other four guys did. And you know, I'll preface this by saying I agree with you completely. And here's my take on it, though, and we look at it a little differently, although very similarly. I think this is different from who you are pimping out as an MVP candidate in any given season, for example, where, sure, there's some ambiguity in terms of value and what it means, and there's always the argument of can a, a non-playoff you know, team have the MVP on their roster, whatever. There's some ambiguity there, but at the end of the day, you are arguing who the most valuable player is, and there's some understanding of what that means. Who should or should not be retired with any given franchise is is such a, a matter of personal preference. Now, you and I happen to share the same preferences. I like going to the Joe Serena, looking up and seeing guys that you could make the argument are top 50 players ever. <laughs> like in, in the entire sport. Now, maybe one is like the 62nd or whatever, but everyone, if you go look at the Red Wings and you take your kid when you're in 10 years, they're and your all daughter, elite, elite. Your daughter players. says, you look up and say, well, who was the Iserman? Who was Ted? No non Hall of Famers up there. Yeah, those guys are all. And, and that's in the, in, in the Tigers, and we talked about this the other day on the Facebook, our DSR Facebook page. The Tigers are like the bizarro Pistons. There's at least two guys, and I think probably three numbers who haven't been retired, which is an absolute slap in the face to the team's tradition. And that's definitely Tram and Whitaker, who played here for 50,000 seasons in a row and were the double play combination. And guys were borderline Hall of Famers. Most analytic guys uh, think that Trammell's 100% should be in, and Whitaker's got a lot of support too. If you look at his numbers, the guy had about an eight-something OPS when he was about 56 years old playing in his last year. The guy was just a hitting machine batting at second base. And other than Joe Morgan and a couple other guys, he's probably one of the best hitting second basemen of all time. Uh, you know, throw Craig Biggio in that list too. But the Tigers refuse, absolutely refuse. Like they have like a they have like um a rule, I guess, down there 
that unless you're in the, the Hall of Fame, you can't get your jersey retired. And I think Jack Morris is borderline. But Jack Morris what, was a, you know key, the ace of the 84 Tigers. I know we're not big win-loss guys, but the guy almost won 200 games in this town. And you go, you go to Comerica Park with your kids, and those numbers should be up there on a wall or something, so you can explain to the kids who Trammell and Whitaker was. That's why I think it, that's why it's always been more important to me than those individual yearly awards. And the Pistons are retiring Eddie Money's and John Bon Jovi and Kid Rock's number for sellouts at DTE and the Palace, and the Tigers like Jack Morris and Lou Whitaker. Nothing. I, well, I don't get it, it. What it. What it does is it cheapens the honor. You know, it, for the Pistons. If you, the for Tigers. The, for the Pistons. Mickey, now, if M- you Mickey's give, like the only guy on this that, in my lifetime, basically. Because I did. I, mean, I was born when Al Kaline played. I guess his last year or two. But other than Miggy, that, that's like that's the line. It's like you've got to be one of the top five baseball players of all well, time. Well, honestly, I like the Tigers more than I like the Pistons. Here, I mean, Trammell fits into the exception to the rule for me, where my general rule with this, just personal preference, is I want only Hall of Famers that played the majority of their career for the team in question to be retired. But I, and I may, Whitaker, I Whitaker's may, got better numbers. Well, than Trammell. It, it, yes, and that's fine. I, I've always pleaded a little bit of ignorance. I remember seeing Trammell play when I was like six years old. I'm right. a little too young, so I can't sit here and argue intelligently. But he does fit into that sort of exception. And same with Whitaker, where if you play like 18 seasons at a high level for one franchise and win a title, that's the exception to the Hall of Fame rule. We're like, okay, you can retire that guy's number, in my opinion. But um, yeah, I mean, just I, I, I think. I think it is a matter of preference, but I want to go and look out at center field on the brick wall of Comerica and only see Cabrera, Cobb, you know, that type of, yeah, Geringer, whatever. I, 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 you know, Greenberg. I want to look up at, you know, at, at uh, the Palace and see, you know, Dave Bing, you know, so Isaiah. I want to look up at Detroit, you know, at Joel Serena and see Nick Lidstrom and Steve Eisman. That's, that's what I want just personally. And, and I think what it does is it cheapens the honor. People are, want to be so inclusive. Anyone that's like close, yeah, bring them on and come on in. But what it does is you're unintentionally degrading the award or the honor. You're degrading the accomplishments of the other people up there. It's like giving an Oscar to Britney Spears because she didn't trip over herself when she made Crossroads in 2002. I mean, okay, yeah, we're going to be nice to Britney and Britney's going to have a good weekend and she'll be so honored for the award. But what the fuck is Marlon Brando supposed to think when that happens? Wait a minute. Marlon we want, Brando didn't care about his – he sent a he, well, he, American woman to get his award. Bad example. She flushed it down the toilet. The, the, point, the point is oh, whomever it may Meryl be. Meryl Streep maybe. What, what is Meryl Streep supposed to think? Like, oh, shit. Like, I'm in this exclusive club called anybody? I mean, you know, so that's, that's the point. No, I – it, It's not just like this person, eh, eh, maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. You're degrading the honor and you're unintentionally – maybe slapping the face is a little too strong – but you're you're sort of thumbing your nose lightly at the people already hanging from the rafters. You want to give a night borderline people. If in. you want to give a night to honor Ben Wallace or Dennis Rodman or John Sally, or I'm cool with Mark the ring Aguirre. of I'm cool with the ring of honor idea that right, some franchises right. use. You know what what Ben Wallace a being separation a, between yeah right. between having your jersey retired, which is only to the absolute elite. And then, you know, guys who contribute on championship teams who are not clearly not Hall of Famers. Right. Ben Wallace is not a Hall of Famer. No. Um, you know, maybe 
that then you that second tier, so you can have the celebration. I don't even think Ben Wallace, for the record, is is close to being worthy of having his jersey retired. Did you talk to this about it with Jasper? Who Jasper was all in on. Oh uh, yeah, we talked about it. He, what, I, you see, the reason why I didn't make a big deal of this is because I like Ben Wallace and I enjoyed the night and whatever. I enjoyed the montage and I enjoyed seeing Larry Brown there and whatnot. But the funniest thing was, I guess, a quick aside. Larry Brown going to uh, Bill Davidson's son at the uh, during the ceremony when he had the microphone and LB goes, you know, I really wish your father was here. He was a great man. I go to Jasper. What? Yeah, you didn't hear about this? No, I didn't hear. I, I was out. I didn't even Brent, see any Larry, of it. Larry Brown is on the mic talking. Bill Davidson's son was sitting as part of the ceremony and had been introduced, you know, I, you know, and identified as for who he was. And LB, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, you know, basically, I wish your dad were here. You know, he was a great man, whatever. I, I elbow Jasper. I'm like, his dad wanted Larry Brown dead. Called he him called a him, bad, bad man. He like, publicly called him a horrible person. Yeah, right. When he so laughed. That was an interesting moment, yeah, to well, say the least. That was an acrimonious exit for <laughs> Larry Brown. But the point is, you know. <laughs> well, can I ask you one more question that I didn't, yeah. I didn't. There was something else about that ceremony that I wanted to ask you about that I didn't see that someone mentioned. Was it that Tom Gore oh, spoke Gore's, for yeah, like Gore's, 17 Gore's minutes? Gore's speech. Like, what was, it was just long. It was way too long. Well, you weren't even here when Ben Wallace played. I mean, it's that you were a Laker fan. That's you know, I, I don't have a problem. Still I, might be a Laker. I was fan. saying that the Jasper during during the speech, I could wrap this up. People, it was so awkward. People in the crowd were first of all, he was holding the mic about six feet from his face. So I mean, you could barely <laughs> hear him. We had good seats, you know, trademark Bill Simmons, so we could hear everything he was saying. <laughs> But you could barely hear what he was saying. And we were close, so we couldn't understand what he was saying. So you have a combination of half the crowd is yelling, louder, can't hear you. Come on. I swear to God. And then the other half, after he gets like several minutes into the speech talking about an era that I know more about than he does, and people are saying, wrap it up, let's go, come on. Like It was just, it was just a very awkward, like – you it's could, so funny. Tom Gore's people ownership. Were like, he, people are like heckling him. Gore's ownership has been just so funny. And he, for the first few years, we kind of mocked him. I was wrong about him. But he's done a great job. He brought in Arn Tellum. They're doing brought in Van Gundy, Jeff Bauer. They're doing everything right. I like what's going on there. But he's still kind of like. Do you ever see that that Bill Murray movie where the the man who knew not what the man who didn't what was who it knew called? too little or whatever man who, something like that yeah. where he's just walking around the whole entire movie not knowing that he's like a spy it's like the man who knew spy. too little I think. Yeah. yeah they don't yeah. and like he's just walking around and he's like has no clue of his surroundings or anything and that's like Gores he he does press conferences where he butchers his players names he runs on the court to celebrate a winning three-point shot in a preseason game and then I guess now you're telling me that he's kind of embarrassed himself in, front in multiple of, ways. Again, the mic, the nature of the speech, the length of the speech. It was just <laughs> – it was an, it, there wasn't like any quote that I would give like, oh, it was a train wreck. Just the whole thing, like the whole pie. That's his whole ownership. It's just awkward. Yeah. Just, awkward, just, awkward is a good he's word just, for it. He's just a guy with a lot of money who wanted to buy a basketball team and he just doesn't know a lot about the, te- the what it – you know. The, and we haven't seen that really. Mike Illich played baseball. I mean, yep. he played minor league baseball. Minor leagues, yeah. uh, Bill Davidson lived and breathed the Detroit Pistons. I yes. mean, th- that guy was there th- every game. That guy every game, and that guy knew every. I mean, you could have had an you could have had a discussion about him with him about the Pistons. And Rick like, Carlisle was fired because he wasn't nice to people in the office. I right. mean, like just talk about having your finger on the pulse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we just had a lot of oh, other than William Clay Ford Senior, uh, who but never really, but William Clay Ford Senior really never talked. He was not he was a non interventionist, but he cared a lot. He was just a kind of a buffoon, right? But and he cared Tom, a lot and was Tom there all is the time. willing. Tom is willing to put himself out there 
and just kind of look like a buffoon. But he dress, I, he, yeah, I, mean, I love he, what he's, he's doing. like dancing at the games and stuff. Yeah. He, he dresses very. I mean, he's just like, he's an odd guy. Looks like he's coming out of the set of Miami Vice at all yeah, times. Pretty much. All right, we're going to take one last break, and we'll come back. We'll wrap it up, talk a little about the wings and uh, a story that Spiro is working on currently, and then we will end the episode 14 of the Detroit Sports Rag podcast live from our podcaster Detroit studios in Ferndale. This is a previously recorded episode. Last segment of the Detroit Sports Rag podcast, when I'm God, everyone dies. Jeff Moss with uh, Justin Spiro. And producing, as always, is uh, Jessica. Hey. We will talk a little bit, a couple minutes about the Red Wings before we uh, head out, uh, should address them. Coming off of a successful 5 and one road trip, they come back on Sunday night against the Flyers. And basically the story of the season, they get a one nothing lead. They can't get any separation by scoring a second goal that probably would put the game away with Mrazek and Nett. Damn it! And... Um, they lose the game in a shootout, two to one. Can't score goals, and it looks like they've uh, shaken up the lines a little, uh, moving Pulkin and up uh, from the fourth line. It looks like they're going to play tomorrow night. I think uh, Datsuk and Larkin together. So Blashill finally it took a loss, like it usually does for them to get to change. Things. I mean, I would have changed things a long, a long time ago, um, but. Some positive moves. The one thing that I thought funny, everyone was tweeting out this afternoon, Justin, that there was bad news. Bad news for the Red Wings today. Uh, one, Drew, Drew uh, Miller's out for the season, which I don't know how we'll ever get over that loss. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. There's a glitch in the system here. But uh, Drew Miller out for the year and Nick Cronwell out for a month, which will be nice just for the fact that Cronwell, who's getting up there in age, We'll uh, get some time off, and maybe we'll get someone on the power play on the point who can hit the net with a slap shot. Uh, maybe Brendan Smith. I, I don't know. But it's it's been very frustrating watching the Red Wing power play struggle and Blashill not trying another person on the point like Brendan Smith. I'm not really broken up about either of these of these injuries. You know who is equally emotionally invested in the Detroit Red Wings? Who is that? A professional journalist named Greg Krupa. Now, this is a guy that is now an official Red Wings beat writer for the Detroit News. And he actually came up to speak to me at Michigan State, the, my class and I, uh, when I was a journalism student there and was talking to us about journalism ethics, uh, specifically pertaining to religion and covering religion in the media. That was Krupa? He, he was a, at some point, I guess, a religion wow. writer. I don't know if it was at the time or earlier in his career. Uh, we had an entire class on covering religion in journalism, like how to be sensitive, discussing sensitive religious issues and whatnot. That's what the entire class was on. So Krupa was talking to us about the ethic, you know, the ethical side of it. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Greg Krupa talking to a class, trying to bestow upon them this great uh, high moral concept of, of principled journalistic ethics, a guy who is a current beat writer for the Detroit Red Wings, supposedly an objective journalist that is not going to be slanted one way or the other. I'm working on a, on a I, I would hesitate to call it an article, more of a blog post right now addressing this idiot. But here are some of this guy's tweets just from the last couple of weeks. Datsuk was mugged. 
All caps. Once again, Datsuk was mugged. That's that's the guy who's covering the Red Wings as, as a, a beat writer. As a beat writer, objective journalist. Tell me. I, not writing for RedWings.com. I could compare this guy to any crazy Red Wings slappy fan, like tweeting live tweeting the game. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Justice has prevailed. Cheyenne scores. Detroit Red Wings. The NHL needs to access modern technology, so a goal is judged a goal. Cheyenne clearly scored on this at Detroit Red Wings. Larkin is an all-star, all caps. The puck don't lie after a penalty shot was missed that he didn't like the call on. Horrible call, all caps. That call is from the devil. That call is from the devil? Now these, By the way, these are all happening in real time where we're watching. They're all, obviously, like you said, they're calls against the Red Wings. It's un- he, he's like he gets he's more aghast. I mean, I live and die with the Detroit Red Wings for my whole entire life to the point where when the Red Wings lost in the finals in 2009, I didn't leave my house for three days and basically didn't get out of bed. This game, this guy takes the games ha- harder than I do. Richards has the puck, you know, going in uh, on goal a couple of weeks ago and, and just waited too long, didn't get the shot off, puck knocked off his stick. Krupa tweets, Richard should have shot. Shoot! In all caps, exclamation mark. And then Darren Helm, Darren Helm scores a goal. Shoot! Shoot! It's like He's the like fans at the fan. Joe. Shoot! Shoot the puck! Oh my God! Darren Helm, this is all in caps. This guy came to your class to talk about ethics, ethics and journalism. This is in all caps. Darren Helm says, give me that damned biscuit and I'll put it in the oven. And he turns on his Hemi. By the way, if you haven't seen the what this guy looks like, Greg Krupa, go go it's look like at George R. R. Martin. <laughs> All caps again. Red Wings score. Helm with the hands, George, baby. George R. Baby, baby, baby. Helm with the hands, baby! Exclamation mark. Larkin was assaulted. No call. What's going on? And then why would you say that one again? I, I don't even go over it. What? Larkin was assaulted. No call. What's going on? Once again, this is not winging it in Motown. This isn't. <laughs> this isn't. Uh, what's the guy's name that I've had it out with a few times? The guy, the blogger, uh, George Malik. Yeah, yeah. This isn't Malik or winging it. Kyle from winging it in Motown. This is a Detroit News beat writer. Beat writer for the Red Wings. Basically, he's kind of like Cole fans number two. Like you know, Carlos Monteras is for Burkett. Yeah. This guy is like a beat writer. He's coming to your class, each ethics, and they're constantly screaming and yelling on his Twitter account about bad calls and the Red Wings getting screwed. It's every, it's every game, too. This isn't like he had a weird night and I cherry-picked some tweets. I mean, this is, no, no, no. This this is, is, this is how is, his feet is. This is his feet. Let me just give – I'm going to get back to Cooper for a real quick second, but I want to give you a David uh, Mayo from MY who covers the Pistons one. I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but you, if you're watching a game – the shot clock was ticking down. There's about one se- second left of the shot clock. Uh, was it Gasol, I think, was about, I don't know, 40 feet away from the basket, almost at half court. And he goes up for a shot, and he clearly gets fouled by Andre Drummond. Clearly. In the postgame comments, Stan Van Gundy is like just basically called Drummond an idiot for fouling him. There was no denying that he got fouled. I mean, it was just absolute stupidity. This is what David Mayo said, Spiro, after that. All caps once again, I guess he learned from Krupa, no way, no freaking way, that is horseshit. Once again, this is the beat writer for MLive covering the Pistons. This, that is horseshit. 
They own his own coach. The fans all, it was a foul. I'm sorry that he was stupid to foul a guy at half court on a three-pointer with a buzzer ticking down, but he hit him. He hammered the guy. That's horseshit in caps. <laughs> what, what's going on with journalism? Plagiarism and fanboyism. Journalism is dead. Look at this tweet. Journalism is look, dead. Look at this tweet from two days ago during the Red Wings game from Krupa. I, this wasn't even on my research yet because I was looking back. I like, started this five days ago. All caps, exclamation mark. Miraculous, like for miraculous, like Lewis. I don't even know Mrazic Lewis. Does he jerk off in in the locker? Dylan Larkin is unreal! Exclamation mark. He's. I mean, just after after the Red Wings won, huzzah! Like who is he? Hell swear engines? Huzzah! Oh my god! But first, by the way, we one more thing about this, which. We, I was told by someone uh, close to the situation that Krupa is, has such a hatred for the managing editor of the Detroit News, Gary Miles, that he had filed a restraining order of some sort. Gary Miles denied it. And Gary Miles said denied it. But I yep. was told by a very good source that there is some malarkey in between those two and their relationship. I'm not sure if Miles was telling you the truth. I, I got uh, it who knows? very reliable. But you got any more before we get off here? How about... All caps. Red Wings win. What a marvel, mar- marvelous, marvelous road trip. All caps. <laughs> Ping. Applicator hits post square. Next time. <laughs> next time. <laughs> like next what? time. He's rooting for them to score. <laughs> like he's rooting for them to score. Red Wings win. Helm with the hands, baby. <laughs> Huzzah. <laughs> I, I'm the Jordan. biggest wings fan on earth. I don't talk like this. <laughs> oh, I, like I said, I mean, I, I, like I said, I've gone into deep depressions when the Red Wings have lost playoff series to the point where I can't get out of bed. I can't move my limbs. I feel like, a, like I'm paralyzed. This? And I never talk like that. All caps. Goal! After a Red Wings goal. Goal! There's like 17 O's and 12 A's. Goal! George wings R. tie it with two third period power play goals. Zetterberg, yes. I mean, uh, he's the B writer. What am I supposed to do? How with have this? we not? How have we not addressed the situation before? <laughs> I just noticed it like five days. Well, ago. I've noticed it. And I've been derelict in my duty. I wasn't following him, and then he ended up. All I tweeted to him, all I tweeted to him, was, "Aren't you? A, aren't you a journalist?" In response to one of these Red Wings, baby, I said, "Aren't you a journalist?" Blocked. <laughs> That's all I said. How sensitive are you? I literally asked. I didn't say, awful, aren't you a journalist? I just literally said verbatim, aren't you a journalist? Blocked. All right. Well, like that I'm was looking such an forward. I told the story was coming Sunday and then Monday, and I had to send a bunch of Zs to you uh, via text message. Hopefully, we will get this article up tomorrow because it is long past due that Greg Krupa gets called out. Uh, he just The only reason he hasn't is because he's such like a – minor figure in the Detroit media. But this guy might, just based on the tweets that you just read in the last five minutes, this guy's got to be a five-seed in minimum, right? How is that not charging? Mrazic was crushed. Five-seed? <laughs> oh, I mean, God. Yeah, if he wasn't so irrelevant, he'd be like a two. I yeah. mean, And this, Graham Couch moved up again today. He's probably almost this a three guy, or two. I mean, this guy's literally saying, next time we'll get it done. And, you know, Darren Helm, baby. Damn it. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. Is there something like, going on here? But, no. I keep I don't know. We, we fixed the glitch, so oh, we just okay. won't be getting a paycheck anymore. 
Oh, all right. Uh, well, <laughs> I, 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 we just had a, uh, our version of a ticket text. Uh, listener Josh Krieger wants to know if Greg Krupa's fist bumping anybody in the press box. <laughs> See, you know, this is, this is the kind of shit. Like, we get ripped on how could, how could you question our ethics and how could you say we're fanboys? This is the type of shit I'm talking about. They're hanging themselves. I'm not, the, I'm not logging into Greg Krupa's Twitter feed and tweeting out, Great save, miraculous, or whatever. <laughs> I'm not tweeting Darren Helm, baby. Oh, tough. Hit the post. We'll get him next time. I mean, th- this is what a child. This, this, this guy. He's not even a, co- a columnist. It'd be bad enough. He's like the beat writer. He's supposed to be like pretty dry. Yeah. I mean, he's not supposed to be like. There shouldn't be any exclamation marks. By the in way, he's he he's, an, he's an anti Sergey Fedorov jersey retirement too. This this guy. So I guess he's not calling Sergey Fedorov baby. Or Fedorov, Baby. ridiculous, sir. Baby, can you imagine a beat writer? This guy, this guy's a journalism degree. He's giving lectures at Michigan State's J School, calling the subjects of his stories "baby." Could you imagine, like, could you imagine the deep throat Washington Post story with Watergate coming out? You know, forty years ago, and it's just like, oh. He got, you know, he had to resign, baby. Like, oh, it's a baby. Deep throat ridiculous. It's kind of like in that scene in Cruel Intentions when Ryan Fleepy catches Josh uh, Jackson, you know, sleeping with the other guy with uh, Craig or whatever. It's yeah. just baby. Like, just, <laughs> he, has that, he hears him call him baby from the other room. He just goes, baby. Like, just that, it's baby. Why are you calling? We need to drop to get that drop. Why are you calling Darren Helm baby? All right, we got to get out of here. I hate, I hate this I the, town. The, so the undercard is coming really, up next. I hate this. Oh, this city. town's a joke. It's so bad. Uh, this town is so bad. Okay, well, thank you for joining us for episode fourteen of the DSR podcast. We will be back next Tuesday at five p.m. with some more hilarity and hijinks. And uh, have a good week. And uh, we'll see you on the DSR. Probably in the next twenty four hours, we're gonna we'll post some something about the Greg the uh, Greg Krupa article, and then the Lynn Henning t- tweets about uh, always being wrong. Talk to you later. This is a previously recorded episode.